good evening. If you could turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, please. That would be peachy. First Corinthians 12, we're going to read the first 11 verses by way of introduction. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus a and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts but the same Spirit. And there are differences of ministrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the self-same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here tonight. Lord, thank you for this passage. Uh, thank you for um, enabling me as I um, sought to um, put this together and study this out. Lord, I just pray that you would be with me further, that you would help me to deliver this in a way that is clear and concise. There will be a bring a challenge to every single one of us who are here, Lord. It's asked that you would help me and guide me and uh, fill me with your spirit, Lord. In your name, amen. There's something that captures our interest and our imagination that, like, a, not good's a bad word, but a good old-fashioned crime. One that really tickles our interests, makes the news, and especially the ones that take a lot of brains to put together. Forgery is one, it's one of the most, um, I'd say, artsy of the um, illicit activity. It requires a great deal of effort and skill. And in the 1960s and 70s, there was a British family known as the Bolton Forgers who are estimated to have brought in nearly $11 million by making fake sculptures, paintings and artefacts and selling them as the real deal. Even all these years later, some are thought to still be in circulation, um, by, uh, held by unsuspecting art collectors who are pretty chuffed with their collection, only to one day they'll be discovered that they are indeed some of the fakes that this family uh, put out. One of their most famous uh, crimes was creating an Egyptian sculpture, which they then sold to the Boston Museum for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And the artefact was so convincing that it's, it was thought to have been dated all the way back to 1350 uh, BC. It was that convincing. Eventually, they were caught. However, the um, their work is still in circulation today. If it's not forgery, we love the story of a good, really well thought out heist or hijacking. And only non-solved air piracy uh, hijacking in history happened in 1971 where a flight between Oregon and Washington a man with a passport by the name of Dan Cooper not his real name boarded he was described as being very suave very well-mannered um, essentially a real-life James Bond he let everyone know he had a bomb on board he showed them the bomb he made demands he wanted $200,000 in cash 
they landed, the money came on board, they marked the bills so he wouldn't get away with it, the plane took off, he jumped out of the plane without anyone noticing and they still don't know where he is. This was in 1971. In, this, in the FBI's most watch, they don't know where he is. Um, did he survive the fall where well, they never found his body and they never found any of the money? Some outrageous theories have come to pass. Some thought he survived the fall but was eaten by Bigfoot. To other ones that are still bizarre but probably more plausible that perhaps this man was the first uh, gender transformation that occurred in Washington not too long after that. Hence why they never caught him, her, it, whatever. However, while these are daring, brazen and effective uh, crimes that do capture our imagination, our interest, no one's falling asleep yet, man's best or worst efforts are nothing compared to the great criminal himself, that being Satan. He is the ultimate forger and the ultimate hijacker. He cannot create, but he can corrupt. In this passage, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul begins to elaborate on an area that should have been a great blessing in the Corinthian church. However, well, sorry, that being spiritual gifts. However, Satan had gained a foothold and has since therefore shown his hand how he likes to chip away at the culture and the ministry of the local church. So we're going to see how the great criminal looks to corrupt God's church through the misuse of gifts and what we watch for to of this. We're going to see how Satan looks to corrupt God's church through the misuse of gifts and how we, uh, what we must watch for to avoid this. Now, first off, uh, when we tell a story once upon a time, we like to go back to the beginning to set the context. So point number one is the past, where, um, where this is all coming from verses 1 and 2. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles carried unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Okay, so by now you're very familiar with the Corinthian church, saved but extremely selfish, extremely carnal, extremely gifted, saved out of a life of sin, but still clinging to the lifestyle that they worked so hard, well, the Lord worked so hard to redeem them out of. Paul's covered a multitude of topics and now he comes to now concerning spirits. He's changing tack again and he's um, going to a topic that he's going to take up the next few chapters of the book and present some of the best, most well-known passages in this entire book. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. If you notice in your Bible, I don't know if it's in yours, in mine the word gifts is in italics. Therefore it was not in the original it's thought that it fits however the original meaning is now concerning spirituals brethren which means anything to do with things spiritual so it's spiritual gifts yes but it's also the spiritual world it's everything to do with the netherworld the things that we cannot see the invisible things and paul's catchphrase you know the thing that you'd write on a t-shirt if it was a paul t-shirt i would not have you ignorant he uses this a lot when does he use it? When he's about to drop some hard truth. Don't miss out, guys. The word ignorant here, I would not have you ignorant. A greater focus on it this time. This is where we get our word agnostic today, or one who does not know. Agnostics are those who go, there's probably a God, but we cannot know him. That's what a modern day agnostic is. 
Not only do they not know, but they're not exactly concerned with knowing. Now, ignorance, it's the mother of all kinds of mischief. Young people, I myself know this personally, when I was a teenager, we get up to things because we're ignorant about the ramifications, the consequences of what we're doing. We're not aware of what it is that we're doing and how it can damage us, our reputation, the te- uh, our Christian testimony, other people, etc., until after we've done it because we're young and we're ignorant. This is where a lot of problems get caused in young people and not so young people. Ignorance takes people to hell. I have atheistic friends and I have agnostic friends. The atheists are outspoken, there's definitely no God. My agnostics, eh, can't know, don't really care. Guess what, both are going to hell. doesn't really matter whether you're an atheist or you're an agnostic. The end result is the same. I would not have you ignorant. He doesn't want them to not know about this because ignorance can have crippling consequences. And it is exactly, in this case, in the spiritual world, a lack of discernment amongst the Corinthians was crippling their effectiveness for the Lord. Why? Because of their past. Verse 2, ye know that ye were Gentiles, carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Ye know that ye were Gentiles. Well, they're still Gentiles. They're still Greeks and a hodgepodge of races. Gentiles, also translated pagan. In this context, it means Gentiles by religion. Okay? Ye were pagans. That's what they were saved out of. Demonic activity, as we know, was rife in New Testament times. It's like Satan, he did everything he could during Jesus' birth, life, death, resurrection, to just detract from it as much as he could. Spiritual warfare was at its greatest height then. These temples in Corinth, they were not empty buildings. Otherwise, it wouldn't have enslaved so many people. There were demonic spirits behind the movements. And the, the priests of the time, no matter which god or goddess it were that they were worshipping, they were often um, caught into a trance, into ecstasies, strange actions. It was all parts of the Greek mystery religions. And this is something that these people were saved out of. It was the norm. We talk about seers and people demon-possessed all through Paul and Peter's ministry. It's what they had to deal with because that's what was going on during the time. And it's what these Corinthians, they were saved out of. It says, you were carried away unto these dumb idols. Carried away means lit prisoner, utterly helpless. Gives the idea of someone who has no choice to be taken, taken as a slave. Carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led, or however you were led. Some people went willingly, some people went kicking and screaming, but they couldn't help but be led because they were unsaved, they were unregenerated. It's a harsh example, but probably a good one, how children are abducted. Some are lured into the van by promises of candy and toys. Others are taken kicking and screaming. The end result is the same. They have no hope of outwitting, outmuscling their abductors. And this was the case uh, for the Corinthians before they were saved. They could not help it. Now, he talks about these dumb idols with some contempt. Of course, because the idol itself was useless. It was a statue. It couldn't do anything. could no more do anything for them than speaking to a wall or any other inanimate object. However, it was the spirit world behind it that was deceiving them. We don't see it so much in our Western society. We don't have to because we're blinded by materialism. We're comfortable. We're going to hell in a handbasket regardless. 
However, in other cultures, this is all too common practice. And it still does happen today in Australia. In our circles, it's easy to be ignorant because we don't have to deal with that. Praise the Lord, probably very few of us have had experiences. We've seen things, but we know that it's there. And I personally am aware that these things do happen. Is there? One of my army mates, I was witnessing to him. I was prepared to start my whole argument because he's one of these ones who posts a lot of these um, evolutionary type evolved. So I was getting ready to start my whole, there's a spiritual realm spiel. And he stopped me and says, you don't have to convince me. I know. He says, I've seen things. I've played with Ouija boards. I know that there's something not right there. There's some messed up stuff out there. This is an unsaved person who knows that there's a spiritual world. And this is what the poor Corinthians were struggling with. They, and we, as a reality, that we carry the scars of our past sinful experiences. The Corinthians were no different. And by the way, it's a little thing for your side. It, it's a good lesson that we need to be sensitive to people's past. People who struggle with alcoholism, that's where they're going to be weak. Those who've struggled with pornography addiction, that's where they're going to be weak. We need to be sensitive. We need to be empathetic. We need to have compassion on people who struggle with certain sins. Paul was compassionate. He doesn't blast them. However, compassion is different from excusing it. We must have empathy, but we must never excuse someone's behaviour just because of what they've been through. That's a little... You get that for free. They ne- the Corinthians needed help discerning spiritual things. That was their past. Now we come to the proof. How to discern, verse 3. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now, at first glance, just examining this, if you just take this verse without the greater context, it's basically, it's promoting magic words. You know, no one, um, you know, anyone who says Jesus is Lord is saved, and no one who's saved can ever say blasphemous things about Jesus. Well, we know that that's not true because even as Christians, we can say things in jest about Jesus, which we probably think of that. Well, we said it because we thought it was harmless and funny, but in reality, it's probably something that the Lord finds offensive. So that's not the case. And we know that people, just because someone says, oh, yes, Jesus is Lord, doesn't mean that they're saved. But let's look at the wider context. What is the context here? It's the spiritual world, ecstatic utterances. It's tongues. Chapter 12 leads into chapter 14, which we will get to soon. And that's all about the misuse of tongues in the church. Ecstatic utterances. This is what we're talking about here. No man speaking by the Spirit of God. Here, this has to do with either prophecy or tongues or both. The way it's worded, it can mean anything to do with Spirit-inspired utterances. It has to do with those speaking under the influence. Remember, in the apostolic age, this sort of thing's happening all the time. And the Corinthians are confused about how to tell whether someone who is giving this ecstatic utterance is speaking from God or from some other spirit. Because things were wild, things were funky in their church services. And Paul is saying, no one led by the Holy Spirit would curse or blaspheme Jesus. Likewise, Someone who is not under the influence of the Spirit would say, Jesus is Lord. This word Lord doesn't translate well in English, but it means literally God is supreme. 
equivalent to Yahweh, Jehovah, Jesus is as good or greater equivalent to him. For a Jew, that was a huge thing. No Jew would say that unless they meant it. And for Gentiles, who were all caught up in the whole pagan worship, Jesus is Lord, God, supreme, greater than Zeus, greater than all the others. No one would say that unless they really meant it, unless they were truly saved. Now, a commentator that I read, he, he speaks of, I haven't experienced it, but he said that um, he had friends who, they would go to these Pentecostal services into that day and age, and someone would be up speaking in an unknown tongue, and everyone was all inspired by it, and then someone who was there, who happened to know the language that they were speaking in, stood up and said, stop, stop, he's speaking horrible cursings and blasphemies about Jesus. Not from Jesus, from a spirit. A wit, an evil spirit, a demon, calling Jesus accursed. Or um, those who are going on and saying that Jesus is Lord, but not being re truly regenerated. They're not meaning what they're saying. They had to be discerning back then, in this whole tongue speaking. If they were speaking in tongues and they said something that was contrary to what they knew about Jesus, straight away they knew it wasn't from the Lord. And someone saying, yes, Jesus is Lord, but... If they said something that wasn't for Jesus likewise, they knew straight away that it wasn't from them. The Greek mystery religions, Gnosticism is a, a classic one. This is where it started to rear its head. 1 John 4.2 states, when I find it, I thought I bookmarked it. <coughs> Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirit whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, where the church should come, and even now already is in the world. Okay, so here we see that John had to deal with the whole Gnostic. Yeah, Jesus was, but he wasn't actually God, God in the flesh. Very complicated, complex religion. Fitted, fitted in really well with the Greek philosophy of the day. But they detracted from what Jesus actually did. It doesn't matter how great a speaker is, what it is that they say, how enticing it is, how influential it is. If it's not grounded in the truth of God's Word and what Jesus is, who He is and what He's done, then we have to beware because it's not accurate. It's not from God. Today... We have the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's most obvious. At first glance on the surface, what's the difference? They love, they're a bit weird, but they love God and Jesus. They don't love our Jesus. They don't know our Jesus. Their Jesus is very different. He's not who the Bible says that he is. It is a clever forgery of Satan who is seeking to corrupt the ministry of the Word, the Christian church, by sending out imitations enough to fool people or turn people off altogether some of my friends they get the door the jehovah's witnesses mormon door knockers i know how weird they are and therefore they lump all christians into the same boat they don't want anything to do with it because what they've seen is completely and utterly bizarre satan wins he's got what he wants he's corrupted it enough he's done it a good enough forgery that at first glance to the unregenerated eye it looks fine and we must be so careful the rea reality was blurred for the Corinthians they weren't sure what was of God and what wasn't and Paul is saying watch what they say about Jesus 
less obvious ones. There's a book the last few years that's gone great guns all across the world. It's a series of devotionals by an American woman called Jesus Calling. And it's really been well received. And it's nice, it's really flowery and it's um, really written well. However, this woman, she claims that she would sit there and open up her mind and she would write the word, the exact words that Jesus gave to her. A satirical online magazine has come out and said, oh, it's now the 67th book of the canon. You know, it's a tongue-in-cheek. They know it's not, but it's a great danger because the things that she says about Jesus, while they're pretty good, they're a bit off. There's very little talk about the blood, about Jesus' redemptive work. It's all about being positive and doing good things and claiming it's directly from Jesus. These are things that we need to watch out for. These are clever forgeries that do fool people and take them all the way to hell. There'll probably be people in hell who did the devotionals every single day, but never understood what it was to be saved, to come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the proof of how to uh, discern uh, spiritual forgeries. But what it's supposed to look like, because remember, because we're abusing their spiritual gifts, we now see the picture. Verse 4, now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are differences of ministrations, but the same Lord, and there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Pauling goes into some quick fire, um, he just starts spitting it out, what it's supposed to look like, the actual picture of how gifts are supposed to work in the church, actual gifts from God. Now, these gifts that he was giving are miraculous in nature because it was the apostolic age, they're establishing the gospel. Which says in verse 4, diversities of gifts, so there's many gifts, but there's the same spirit. They've all come from the same common spirit, that being the Holy Spirit. He's saying it's the source of all the gifts that you have. The true gifts that you've got are from the Holy Spirit and should therefore be conducted well. And there are differences of administrations, verse 5 says, but the same Lord. Administrations mean services or avenues. So not only are there different gifts, but there's different ways that you can present these gifts. But all must be done for God, he's saying. Verse 6, and there are diversities of operations. But it is the same God which worketh all in all. Operations, power in operation, or literally results. There are different results for our work, our labours, through our gifts. But it's God who's the centre of them all. Remember, he said earlier in this book, I watered, sorry, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. Different results for different things. But, um, if the spiritual gifts are being used well, they're all from the Holy Spirit and they're all profitable. They're all to point to Christ. Basically, he's saying, if I paraphrase, he's saying, now that you know how to tell whether it's from God or not, this is how it should look. This is how it should fit. The church should, because Jesus is Lord, operate in a way that points to Jesus being Lord. This is what um, we're supposed to look like. Our gifts are supposed to profit others. The gifts that God gives us, if conducted well, should profit others and point to the Lord who saved us. We've seen here the picture, now we see the practicality, some actual practical examples. Verse 8, for to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, 
to another faith by the same spirit to another the gifts of healing by the same spirit to another the working of miracles to another prophecy to another discerning of spirits to another diverse kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of tongues but all these worketh that one and the self same spirit dividing to every man severally as he will let's go through these gifts really quickly of course if you switched on you should realize that these gifts are not gifts that we have today almost all of these gifts bar one and that's even debatable were grounded in the apostolic age the apostles had it seems the corinthians had them it was all to establish the gospel that's the um the gift of wisdom in verse eight the word of wisdom this was supernatural or divine insight acts six ten gives us an example when stephen was speaking it says and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake it was not wisdom that came from him it was wisdom that came directly from god and they couldn't those who were trying to pursue him they couldn't reason they couldn't reason with it. they couldn't fight it because his wisdom was of god it was a spiritual gift We've got wisdom to another the word of knowledge by the same spirit it's all from the holy spirit this knowledge here this is paul behold i show you a mystery feeling things that no one else knew why because they've been given to him supernaturally he had the spiritual gift of knowledge faith this is the tricky one maybe this one's still around today because this one's very hard to define and all the commoners are really divided as to what this looked like back then and what it looks like now it's not saving faith not a calvinist okay some people given the gift other people not given the gift and it's not the gift of being an eternal optimist either however it's believed that this gift of faith has to do with attempting great things for god which the apostles certainly did and the argument could be made that we can still attempt great things for god today if we've got the gift of faith i'm going to sit on the fence on that one but seeing as all the others aren't for today i'm not so sure heal um to another gifts of healing by the same spirit this was miraculous healing back then it's not around today these so-called faith healers in other denominations they never go down to the hospital and heal people they're not real it's not legit it's not from god i know um i think it's pastor mitchell he likes to say that you're sure the gift of healing's around today people are gifted to become doctors and surgeons but it's not that miraculous type healing that was back then to another the working of miracles what was before to authenticate the gospel to another prophecy expressing the mind of god or telling the future to another diverse kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of tongues and there's a whole heap more we can say about tongues but i'll say that for when i actually get to tongues but of course this was a great stumbling block back then and it's the great stumbling block in pentecostalism today but these tongues were known languages that were used to reach other people and show that the gospel had come to the gentiles and people always interpreted them so they knew what they were saying these all all gifts the purpose was to edify one another and the lord verse 11 but all these that worketh that one and the self same spirit dividing to every man severally as he um as he will sorry it's the holy spirit's prerogative as to who he gives what to do we've all got different gifts not these gifts specifically but we've all got spiritual gifts and how we why we've got them is up to god and it's all for his glory and the benefit 
of others. This is the practical way that the church of God is supposed to look. Our spiritual gifts edifying others, saved and unsaved, and all pointing to our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. This is what it was supposed to look like. It didn't look like that in Corinth, because herein lies the, my final point, the problem. I don't have any extra verses for this one. It's not laid out, but it is very much implied, not just here in chapter 12, but future verses, the rest of chapter 12 and through to chapter 14, which we will look at in future weeks. But consider the issue. What's the issue? The issue is the misuse of gifts. Chapter 14, when we get to it, paints the picture of all the Corinthians desiring that gift which was most public, the gift of tongues. And it would seem that the ones who had it were misusing it, the ones who really wanted it were receiving it from other sources, and ones perhaps who were just making it up, faking it until they made it. Okay, all wrong and not how the church should look. It was a mess and this is Satan's method. We've looked at how he forges the gospel but he also steals, he corrupts, he hijacks. This, if he can't forge it, he'll take it himself. And when good things, good gifts from God are done with wrong motives or done with jealousy or pride, Satan has gained a foothold and being effective like we should. Corinth certainly weren't and we aren't today as a general rule. Just because people are gifted doesn't mean that we're spiritual. We all heard stories, some more recent, of how gifted speakers or missionaries who are definitely gifted from the Lord falling into great gross immoral sin. We're all capable of it and some do. Just because they're gifted doesn't mean that they're spiritual. Just because someone is putting on a facade and people are being blessed by it doesn't mean that all's right, all's kosher deep down. If Satan gains a foothold, problems rise. Many gifted men and women fall prey to their sin. And this is where we need to check our motives. We've all got gifts. Most of us know what our gifts are. Most of us, Lord willing, are utilising our gifts in some way. But are we using them in the way that they should be used? Do the exercise of our gifts point to Jesus? Do they lift up others or are they just pointing to ourselves? Hey everyone, look at me, worship me. We've got to be so careful. The rest of the chapter, which we'll get to the next time we have a look at this, is all about, Paul explained, the body's made up of all members, guys. It's not just an eye or a foot or a hand, it's everything. Every member has a function. Everyone is important. Which implies that people here were covetous of other people's gifts. Their gift is better than mine. I don't like my gift. Or, I have a better gift than you. I'm better at this than you. You see how Satan is gaining a foothold because of our pride and our jealousy. If he can't make a forgery, he'll make a mockery of what we do have. This is the problem that was facing the Corinthian church and it's what we face today. Pride is again the source of all of these issues. And this was the cardinal sin, this was the silent killer that I talked about the last time I spoke on 1 Corinthians. We must be so careful of what the great criminal is 
casting towards us and attempting to trip us up. To conclude, I want you to think about this. There could be a church down the road, a church that many people visit every Sunday. On the surface, it looks vibrant, it looks like it's doing a good job. When we start to listen to what they're actually saying, they're not preaching the gospel. Their Jesus is different from the Jesus of the Bible. And straight away, you know that that's not from God. The devil has gained a foothold. The people are probably unaware of it who are presenting this heresy, this lie, that Satan has created a forgery. There's a church like that. Maybe on the same street is another church where the message, oh, praise the Lord, the message here is fine. It's kosher with what the Bible says. It measures up. But the people there are too busy being proud, being arrogant, glorying in their own gifts or being jealous of everyone else's gift. And people who visit come in and they don't come back because they know that something's not quite right. They can't put their finger on it, but they know that something's not right. I used the example, well, months ago, one time that I had rumbling guts and I was not feeling well and people didn't know what was wrong with me, but they knew that something was wrong because I didn't look myself, I wasn't well. People can tell, outsiders looking in can see when something is not right. And whether Satan's created a forgery or whether he's come in to a church preaching the gospel and hijacked it through starting to uh, work, work his fingers, work his tentacles, get us uh, looking inwardly rather than outwardly, then he's done his job and he can move on to another church. Tonight we've looked at what the great criminal can do, how he seeks to corrupt God's church through the misuse of gifts and what we can do to avoid this. We looked at the past, what the Corinthians were saved out of, spiritual uh, warfare was rife in their day, it was real to them, but they needed to be discerning as to what was from God and what wasn't. So they were given the proof that those in this context who spoke in tongues that blasphemed Jesus, obviously it was not of God, and those who stopped short of saying, yes, Jesus is Lord, that was not from God. In this day and age, therefore, we can apply those who say frightful things about the Lord, even really subtly deep down, taking away from His redemptive work. Or those who just stop short of saying, yes, Jesus was a good person, but He wasn't our Saviour from our sins. Two ways, a picture, sorry, uh, the proof. Then we saw the picture of what the church should look like, where the gospel is preached and everyone uses their gifts for God's glory. We saw the practicality of how gifts in the apostolic age should be used, but all were from the Holy Spirit. Today, spiritual gifts, not these ones, but our gifts are to be used for God's glory. But the problem is that if Satan can't get to the source and create a perfect forgery, he will steal, he will hijack, he will manipulate. He will cause pride to rise up, jealousy. And this, by God's grace, I believe that we're at least preaching the gospel, but this is the one that we need to be careful of, that we're not misusing our gifts, that we're not doing it for self-glorification, to feel good about ourselves. If we aren't seeing eternal fruit coming, maybe we just need to be more faithful, but maybe we also need to examine ourselves to make sure that everything that we do is truly for the right motives. Let's not be ignorant. We need to check our own lives. Uh, 
lives individually, not ignorantly. Don't be ignorant, that's bad. Check our own lives individually. As if all our lives are right with God, and our church will be right with God. Because the church is just the body of believers, it's not the building. Our lives and our church must be free of the great criminal's signature. Some forgers, very arrogant. They paint their painting and it looks legit. But just before they paint their painting, they sign their name or they put something, they date it and then paint over the top of it. It can't be seen to the naked eye, but if it's x-rayed, years later, it'll be discovered to be a forgery. Some are so arrogant that they know that they'll be caught, but by then it will be too late. Let's not find Satan's fingerprints, his footprint, anywhere in our hearts and lives. Let's not let the great criminal get to ministry and let us not misuse the spiritual gift that God has so graciously given us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gifts that you do bless us with, Lord. Thank you that you do see fit to use us. Lord, you are so patient with us. How often we must fail you, how often we must uh, do it, go through the motions, just do it without uh, a true focus on why it's important and who we're doing it for. Lord, let's pray that you'd forgive us for our apathy if that's crept in our lives. Lord, let's pray that you would be with us. Help us to use the gifts that you've given us for your glory. Help us to be discerning as to what is from you and what is um, from the flesh and the devil. And Lord, if we do understand the gospel truly, we are presenting it. We praise you for that. We ask that you keep our pride and our jealousy of others well and truly out of our lives, Lord. Just help us to be effective for you, Lord. Help this church to its individual, um, individual and as a collective. May we serve you to the best of our ability. And may um, we never be able to say that the devil has gained a foothold in our hearts and in this church. Lord, pray that you'd be with us and please bless our time of prayer tonight. In your name, amen.